that Sunday. All right, so uh, tonight I would encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me. Um, We're going to be looking, oops, that's the wrong outline here. Okay, here we go. Would you like to hear this morning's message again? All right, uh, I want you to go to Luke chapter 18, and we'll look at verses 1 through 8. Tonight is uh, the title, or really maybe even the proposition, is uh, to pray without fainting or some form of that. Um, There will be several reasons why we should always pray and not faint. But let's start by reading our text, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, But afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry night and day unto him? Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Hey, what's the last answer to prayer you've had? Can you track it? I hope it's been this week. Um, As I was looking at different things that had to happen around here, or what I felt had to happen, sometimes you just put pressure on yourself and things really don't have to happen, but... One of the things that I thought, man, this would be nice if this could get taken care of this week. But you know what? I'm just going to let it sit there. And if it doesn't happen, it can sit there. It's not going to hurt anything. But I just prayed on, I know, at least two different occasions this week. Lord, would you take care of that? And uh, as I was meeting with individuals this week, uh, one of them happened to be in my office. And their eyes saw the need. And without me having to say anything to them, they said, can I take care of that for you? And I'm like, ah, yes, you certainly can. And so they spent several hours uh, this week taking care of that. And what uh, an exciting answer to prayer. Now, we were just singing that song, All That Thrills My Soul Is Jesus. I tell you, when you get answers to prayer, that does thrill your soul. All right. As we come into this particular passage, we will start a um, series of messages um, entitled, How to Help the Church Thrive. Now, how many of you know of a church guru by the name of Thomas Rainier? Have you heard of that name? You can find him online. He's written several books. Um, The one that I think has the most humorous title that he wrote recently is the post-quarantine church. Well, are we really out of the COVID yet? (laughs) Okay. But he's providing strategies to churches on how to, you know, get back into the system of doing things. 
Um, now, he wrote a book that seems at first to have a negative title, all right? The, and it will shock you when I tell you. It's called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Now, doesn't that sound like an encouraging book to read? <laughs> yes, I want to read this book. All right. Well, no, not really. But the, the subtitle is uh, 12 Ways to Keep Your Church Alive. All right. And so what he did was uh, within, I believe he's a Southern Baptist, and so within the Southern Baptist Convention, he traveled around to either struggling churches or churches that closed down, and he interviewed the people in those churches. And I think in maybe chapter 8 or 9, uh, there was a chapter on prayer. And uh, as he was interviewing four churches that had closed down, he was asking questions of the members that had been in that church, those that, had, you know, that were willing to give him the time to do the interview. And uh, so he began to ask them questions. Did you pray together? And of course, they all said, well, yes, we prayed together. But then uh, the real question was, well, what was that prayer time together like? And uh, most of the churches, as they went through their post-mortem evaluation, realized that their prayer was not the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous church. It was more lackadaisical prayer. And so as we come into our text tonight, I want you to look at the setting of what's going on. First of all, Jesus is teaching a parable unto them. What is a parable? Well, a parable is an earthly story that people can relate to, but it has a spiritual or a heavenly meaning. Now, in this particular one, we are not left to guess what does the parable mean. We're told how to apply this parable to our lives. And it's a parable about prayer. So if you look with me at verse 1, it says that men ought always to pray and what? Not to faint. All right. So that's what this little parable is going to be about. God is exhorting us through Jesus Christ that we ought always to pray and not to be disheartened, not to be discouraged in our prayers, not to give up on prayer, not to faint. If we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is gone. Right? So then he, he tells the story about this unjust judge, and then he asks a couple of penetrating questions at the end. Do you hear what the unjust judge says? More of a statement. But then at the end, there's a very penetrating and powerful question that each one of us as an individual believer, and we as Calvary Baptist Church, we should be honest and answer it. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? So think with me about the context of that question. Is Jesus asking a question if people are going to get saved before he comes? Is that the, is that the correct way to look at that? What's the context tell us? Well, the context tells us that Jesus is asking the question, will my disciples express faith or trust in me in their prayer life? Will I find my disciples praying when I come back? Now that's a penetrating question. So let's go through and look tonight at why we should always pray 
and not faint. Well, here's the first one, because God is a just judge. Now, God is the antithesis of the unjust judge. So they're, they're opposites is what I'm trying to say. Now, what about this unjust judge? It says, um, he did not re- regard God nor cared what people thought. He felt no shame. Um, he had no conscience. Right? Now, is that what you want a judge to be like? A judge that has no conscience? Where is his moral compass? How can he even be a judge? Now, in context, this is not a Roman judge. The way that the Romans went about governing as they conquered was to let the people take care of their own internal affairs. So this judge is a Jew. And this is a shocking thing. We might expect that of a Roman, right? But this is a Jew who cares nothing for what God says. Is that what you want of an Israelite judge? Someone who's going to totally set aside God's law on the way that you should judge righteous judgment? Is that what we want? Do we want a judge who has no compassion for victims? Is that what we want in our court system? Well, absolutely not. Uh, According to Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24, the widow was someone that God cared for especially in Israelite culture. And there were protections set up for the widow. And so for this judge to completely ignore the heart of God in caring for a widow shows us that this person is one who is completely cold-hearted. Ice. You just cannot get through to this man. So we have an unjust judge. One who seems to be such a shock. He won't even use what is set before them. Now that's one of my concerns for our country today is that the judicial system set aside what is in our Constitution. Um, And by the way, you do know that we're on very thin ice because what is actually not practiced today is not constitutional law, it's case law. Do you know that? And so if you can, as a lawyer, if you're crafting, you can find some precedent, then you just might get the judge to rule in your favor, even though it might be unconstitutional. And so we're on a slippery slope as a nation. Um, But we would hope that a judge would have a governing document to go by to make his decisions. And that's what we want in our land, right? But here, the governing um, document that governed a Jewish judge was Scripture. So he walked away from Scripture completely. Now, God is a just judge. God is the opposite of this man. He's warm-hearted. He loves to judge 
righteously. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us that God has prepared his throne with justice and judgment. God does what is right. Do you remember when God threatened to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And Abraham said, oh, please, God, don't do that. Um, if there are 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? God said, yes, I would spare the city. Now, you should know, Abraham, there aren't 50. And then Abraham kept praying 40, 30, 20, 10. I'll be honest, I don't think I'm like Abraham. How can you pray for Sodom and Gomorrah? Right? If you were a cowboy fan, you were praying against San Francisco today. Right? Um, but how can you pray for such wicked people? Well, Abraham sets an amazing example for us, does he not? And there are so many things in our society that are so wicked and so messed up. And we should be interceding for them. Because God is a just judge. Now, um, as Abraham thought about God's impending judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and as he pleaded with God to spare cities, he came to this conclusion. Shall not the just judge of the earth do right? Isn't that an amazing knowledge of who God is? You know, sometimes as we listen to people in society criticize God, they, they get a wrong view of God as a God who's angry, a God who's vindictive, and, and, and so forth. Now, I know that there are other people who go to the opposite extreme. But this is not the God that is portrayed in the Scripture. For God is not unjust to forget um, your work and labor of love, which you have shown uh, Toward him in his name, and that you have ministered and do minister to the saints. God is going to be good, and he's going to remember every deed and every act of service that you have done in service to the Lord. Though you never see human recognition, Though you may be discouraged thinking there's nothing coming of this. God's not forgetting. God is going to be a faithful judge and he's going to remember and he is going to reward. And so we're exhorted to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is what? Not in vain. It's not an empty thing. Because God is a just judge. Now, the just judge, the, the, the argument goes like this. If a wicked human judge can make this kind of decision, if he can change like that, then it follows that God, who is a just judge, will answer your prayers. So, 
let's get it straight in our mind that God is good. Because we forget that God is good. We, we forget that his throne is a place of justice. Now, we're going to see our, the challenges to our perspective in, in the way that, that we can think. But here's the second reason tonight why we should always pray and not faint. And that's because God answers prayer. Do you remember in John 15 that we were memorizing last year? If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be what? Done unto you. Isn't that exciting that God answers prayer? Call unto me and I will answer thee and I will show thee great and mighty things which are too hard for thee. Hey, God answers prayer. Just a little rabbit trail. Can I do that? Can I go on a rabbit trail for a second? Do you remember this young man who uh, a few years ago tried to reach a remote island in the South Indian Ocean? There was a remote tribe uh, there that had not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think India uh, has sovereignty over that island. And he went out there to try to present Jesus to these people who have never heard because the Lord put it on his heart. You've got to take the gospel there. Uh, well, he was killed by the tribe when he set foot on their island. They, they thrust him through with arrows and darts and so forth. I have been praying for the last several years, Lord, avenge his blood. If people can't go to the island, God, would you send one from the island to the mainland who will get saved and have a passion to take the gospel back to his people or her people? God can do that, can he not? Um, is, is there not a, a sovereign God who has enough wisdom to figure out how to get the gospel to those people? And um, so I believe that God will answer that prayer and we'll hear very soon of believers and churches on that island. But God answers prayer. Now, I know that I repeat myself and tell stories. And as my children tell me, that's just what people over 40 years old do, right? They just repeat stories. But for 20 years in our last church, we were without a building and we prayed for a building. And God answered in providing a building in the last two years or year and a half that I was there. And he did it in such a way that only he could get the credit and the glory. Just fantastic. God answers prayer. God answers prayer when you as an individual pray, when we as a church pray together. God delights in answering prayer. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified. You see, it's to God's glory to answer prayer. He delights in answering prayer. And isn't that a nice thing to learn about God? Is that he loves to answer our prayers. 
because it brings him glory. Now, I could spend the rest of the message just opening the Bible to show you answers to prayer. Uh, Nehemiah had an answer to prayer, and God allowed him to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Daniel had answers to prayer when it came to interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. God revealed it to him. Joseph, I believe, had answers to prayer. Um, If we just go through the scripture, we can just see example after example of believers getting answers to prayer. So God answers prayer. We should always pray and not faint, not quit, not give up, because God does answer prayer. Now, we're going to move into the next section of this parable, but at the end, God asks a powerful question. And um, so we should always pray and not faint because God asks a powerful question. Will Jesus find faith when he returns? There are many definitions of prayer, but I suppose this one is implied in our text. Prayer is an expression of faith in Jesus. Will he find us a dependent, praying, trusting people, expressing that trust and dependence through prayer? Now, I'm not up here tonight thinking that you all don't pray. I know you pray. Um, And I know that we're, as a church, that we struggle forward as we try to pray. I encourage you, if you can't make it out at Sunday school at 9.15 to pray with us, then, you know, there doesn't have to be a set time for you to grab another believer and just go to one of the side rooms and pray. If you look at the ministry of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest blessings that he attributed to the success of his preaching was a praying congregation. They would actually go to a room and pray the entire sermon for the pastor as he preached. And God worked mightily. Um, If someone asks how you're doing and you have a real burden on your heart, why don't you say, hey, do you have a moment to pray with me? Step aside and pray. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. We should be unashamed and bold enough to just do that as a church. But let me encourage you. Express dependence and trust on God by showing Him through your prayers that you trust Him and that you haven't given up on prayer because God delights in answering prayer. Now, What are the reasons we give up? Now, let's look at our text here. And it says here that there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her what? Continual coming... She weary me. Now, I believe someone had said to me within the last year, I don't repeat my prayer requests. 
Is that a biblical way to pray? No. Because the widow is setting an example for us, her continual coming. In other words, she's made up her mind. I'm going to get an answer. I am going to get an answer. That man is going to listen to me. He's going to hear me out. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to go there every day until he's sick of me. Well, it worked. Because she was doggedly persistent. So what kind of prayer does God want of us? Oh, God, I don't know if you really want to answer this or not, and maybe I don't need to keep praying about this. No. God wants you to go to him with dogged persistence. Just keep going at him. And if a wicked, sinful, cold-hearted judge can change his mind, you don't have to conjole a loving God into being reluctant. Ah, that principal of that Christian school down there keeps bothering me with his prayers down there. I think I'm just going to get him out of my life. Ignore him for now. I'm going to answer his prayers, right? No, we don't have to twist and break the art of... Uncle! No, we don't have to do that to God because he's not unjust. He loves to answer prayer. But you know what our problem is? Let's look at our perspective here. Hear what the unjust saith, and shall God not avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he does what? Bear long with them. Sometimes prayer is not a one and done deal. Sometimes we have to go back and back and back and back and just keep praying and have the mindset of the widow that with persistent and dogged we're going to get God to answer that prayer. Now, it could be no, all right? If it's something that we're asking incorrectly and asking upon our lusts, don't expect God to answer that, right? But make up our mind like the widow because we just need to determine, I'm just going to keep going to God. Now, there is one example of believers being discouraged by a delay. Let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 3. All right, and 2 Peter chapter 3, we find verses 1 through 13 about the return of the Lord. Um, Looking at verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Now, these people, a scoffer is somebody who is the teacher of things that are against God, okay? 
and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. What are they calling into question? They're questioning the integrity and the character of God. And I suppose not in an active sense of questioning the character or the integrity of God, but in a passive sense. We question the character and the integrity of God when we give up on prayer. We've lost heart. We fainted. We didn't have faith. We didn't trust him to answer our prayer. And so all things continued as they were. Okay? Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of. So, and I think that maybe is the problem for a lot of people today. The ignorance is willing. And I think that's probably the worst kind of ignorance. Willful ignorance. And so it goes on and it tells us that God is going to do his work. He's going to return. But now look at verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Time out. Don't insert creation in here. The seven days of creation in the book of Genesis were literal seven 24-hour days. All right? Don't read that into this text. Okay, Just... And this is one of those literal grammatical things that we talked about this morning, knowing how to rightly divide, to cut the word of truth. This is one of those things that tells us God isn't bound by human expectations of time and time constraints and time limits. I mean, good grief. We live in an age where we push one minute on the microwave. That's too long. All right? Uh, we don't want to wait a minute. You know, for some reason, we think things that come out of the freezer should be hot. You know, you heard about the little boy in, in Josiah. If you're watching, this is your joke. Okay, so if it goes bad, it's your fault. Um, the little boy who um, saw a classmate bring something new to school, and he asked him, "What is that?" And he said, "Well, it's a thermos." He said, "Well, what's a thermos do?" And so his classmate said to him, "Well, it keeps." Hot things hot and cold things cold. So the little boy got excited. He went home and he asked his parents if he could get a thermos for his lunch. And so sure enough, they went to the store and bought him a thermos. And um, he was so excited, he brought it to school the next day. And his classmates were like, well, what'd you put in your thermos? He said, hot chocolate and a popsicle. Because it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold, right? And... Um, now, how does that relate to the message? <laughs> all right. Well, our expectations. All right. Um, our expectations can be off. Our understanding can be skewed of how God works. Just because God takes a long time to answer doesn't mean he's disinterested. Doesn't mean that he's become calloused or uncaring. So what's your longest running prayer request right now? Keep praying for it. Amen? Express your faith, your trust, your dependence in the Lord. 
let's not give up. The widow um, is our example. Now, let's not doubt the character of God. Let's not get discouraged by the delay. Let's look at the widow and know that we can be persistent. Now, there's a key word here, nevertheless or notwithstanding. God will avenge them speedily. So prayer is not one quick season of listing needs and expecting immediate results. Prayer is continuing to talk to God with persistence. And so the promise then is that of answered prayer. God will not, um, will not God bring about justice for his chosen people? Now, his elect. This is encouraging because God is under no obligation to answer the prayer of those that are not his children. But God in his scriptures has willingly placed himself under his own oath, under his own promise to answer prayer. That is a just judge. He binds himself to his word. He will keep his promises even though it goes long. Now swiftly here, either in the sense that God has already answered the prayer and it just needs to be worked out in human time. Or in the sense that quickly here is that time is relative in relation to eternity. Because one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So the problem is not with God. He'll answer you when you need it. You can count on that. The problem is with us. But the question is this, and I want you to interact with the question tonight. When Christ returns, will there be anyone here at Calvary Baptist? Will we as a church be calling out in persistent, dogged determination prayer for our own lives and for the lives of our brothers and sisters for our church. Will the second coming of Jesus find us persisting in prayer that will be pleasing to him? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So when Christ returns, the person of persistent prayer will still be praying won't have fainted.